0: For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together.
1: This evening we're going to be looking specifically at Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 through 21. But that's not the only place we'll be. You know how that goes, right? Nah. I've been around anyway but ephesians chapter one five one through twenty one uh, i've divided it into three simple sections the first are the first two verses <clears throat> that really I think prepare us for what's coming next uh, the second section is a list it's not the only list like this in the Bible As a matter of fact we want to look at two others right quick if we can and get to see why and what the occasion is that they were mentioned. Very similar, not identical. And then the third part is when we get down to the very last part, which really sums it all up about the Holy Spirit of God living within us, which is the absolute only solution for the problems that these middle section presents, if we could. Look at these first two verses, though. The Scripture says, Therefore be imitators of God... As dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Therefore be imitators of God. Usually we think of imitating Christ because God the Father remained in heaven. We don't get to see him. Working like we do the Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, Peter mentions, talking about what Christ has done in suffering for us, he said he has left us an example that we might follow in his steps. And I believe that may be the source of the bracelet. Uh, The pastor mentioned one one Sunday morning, what would Jesus do? Because at that time when the book was printed uh, by a man named Sheldon, I believe, it was all about what would Jesus do, be an imitator. But I want you to realize that even though we are, in a sense, imitating Christ, that's not where the power comes from. This is not a monkey see, monkey do. You know, you go to the zoo and you're looking at the monkey cage and you scratch your head and the monkey scratches his head and that kind of thing, you know. Uh, that's not the idea. You could never, ever look at what the Lord Jesus did and expect to be, be able to reproduce that. And that's where we want to get to for the real final conclusion. Be imitators of God as dear children. You know, I looked at that dear children and I thought, got <clears throat> Agap- agapete is the word and I thought agape you hear that in it and I thought you know what that could be translated beloved it really could and then because I have an inquiring mind and I thought about that a minute I thought I wonder and I look back to Matthew chapter 3 you remember Jesus came to the Jordan River to be baptized by John John, of course, said, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus told him, We must do it. You know, permit it now because it behooves us to fulfill all righteousness. We really need to do this. And when Jesus was baptized, you remember the story. You remember Matthew 3. I think it's Luke 3 also. John took Jesus, put him in that water. As he came up, the scripture says that the heavens opened. A dove descended upon him. That was the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. And then it goes on to say, the father spoke and said what? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Think about that. The very word that God uses here to talk about us and his love for us is the very same word that he used when the Lord Jesus, God's only begotten Son, came up out of that water, and God would say of him, This is my beloved Son. Can you imagine the depth of the relationship that you and I have the privilege of experiencing because of God's love for us that he would want to have a personal, intimate relationship with us? And yet that's exactly what the Bible presents. You go to 1 John chapter 3, you know, and when John is writing to us, he says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath given unto us, that we should be called the children of God. We are his children. Now, he's going to give us a list, yeah, we're getting there, of things that people do that, yes, we shouldn't do. And it's not a complete list, it's not exhaustive, but it's a list that we can find ourselves involved in without much trouble. And one of the things you need to realize is the reason he brings it up in this passage, the thing that sets the stage for it, is the relationship that you and I are privileged to have in Christ with the Lord Jesus absolutely and by the way you'll take him with you wherever you go if indeed you are a Christian as a matter of fact you'll not only take him with you you will take him in you and uh, you can feel free to tell the world that you in fact have that relationship with him so he says and walk in love Quite simply, if you want to simplify this word love, agape, as we had in the Greek, but the simplest idea of it is this, and I've heard a lot of things said about it, that some of which are true and some of which not so much. But the fact is it comes with the idea that God so loved the world, that means he put a precedent on us that he set aside his own personal interests and desires and put us first in terms of his love for us that's just what it is and when we're told to love God guess what we're supposed to do put away that which is for us our best interest or what we think is and in fact realize that we put the God and the Lord Jesus the Holy Spirit we put them first and make them the priority of your life and that's when you love him if you love me you'll what John 15 says, you will keep my commandments. You will. Excuse me, that's John 14, 15. John 15, 14 says, you are my friends if you do that which I've commanded you. It's is a relationship we have because what I want to do and what I think is important goes to the wayside. And if I'm going to be an imitator of God as his dear child, his beloved child, then nothing That I would put a priority on must come in a way. And that sets us up for these verses that follow. But I would like you to look, one other place that comes up, it's not just in Mark 7, it's also in Matthew and Luke. But here's a similar list. I want to look at these two first, and then when we look at this one, I want you to notice how similar they are. And yet there's a different occasion, a different reason those are brought up. For example, In Mark chapter 7, what's going on is, and it's uh, early in the chapter where it starts, scribes and the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, wait a minute, why is it that your disciples don't wash every time? And he's talking about a ceremonial washing. I mean, my parents insisted, they'd say, you know, I'd always be petting the dog right before it's time to eat. My folks would say, go wash the dog off your hands, you know. My hands don't have a dog on them, but Yeah, the residue of the dog they had, and that's true, but that's not what they're talking about. These people are talking about a ceremonial cleansing that they think is going to somehow purify themselves, the food and everything, so that when they eat it, they won't be defiled. And the point Jesus makes is, wait a minute, it's not what comes from without that defiles you, it's what comes from within. Notice what he says, verse 21, Mark 7. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. When we get to this in Ephesians 5, that's going to sound awfully familiar. Now, they're not exactly a match but you'll see, they all live in the same neighborhood, and, and it's always there. And what the Lord Jesus wants us to understand is, and what you and I must understand is, these things that come in our heart, these things that defile us, it's an inside job. It's not cosmetic. You cannot fix it. You cannot touch it up a little here and there and make it look better. That's for the body shop after you have your wreck. but that is not what's going to take the place in your life so jesus brings it up because he wants us to realize that these very things that are the enemies of our soul guess where they come from within that's why james says to us if any man is tempted don't think god tempted you don't think it came from him it comes from the lust the desires that we have in our own heart so you got to realize that's why god always works from the inside out we just automatically try to make it look good and that's not what's going to solve the problem that's why by the way you can't imitate Christ in a real sense and take care of what's wrong on the inside that's why Jesus will say to Nicodemus except a man be born and it literally anothen it means from above he cannot see the kingdom of God You have to be fixed up from the inside out, and there's nothing you can do. You can train your dog to do things from the outside in, but for us to be the people that God wants us to be, it has to come from the inside. Because only the Holy Spirit of God residing in me can even begin to make the changes that have to happen in my life so that I could in any way be pleasing to him. So when you see the listener the same, they are. And they're not really for different reasons either, but there's a little bit of a different emphasis. The other one I would mention to you is in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, he's contrasting the flesh with the spirit. He's talking about the works of the flesh, and then he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. But when you read about the works of the flesh, well, he says this. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. They are, check this list out. It does sound familiar. They are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, uh, contentions, arguing amongst ourselves, uh, Jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, all of these things are there. And why is he missing them in this particular occasion? Because they are the works of the flesh. You know what the flesh is? The Bible uses it in three different ways. Sometimes the Bible talks about the flesh, and it's talking about the soft tissue of our body. Remember when Jesus was resurrected, and they were looking at him, and... Uh, By the way, the reason the old Bible used ghost instead of spirit is because in the English language, these two words have reversed themselves. If you look at uh, Charles Dickens, when he talks uh, in his writing, I Love His Christmas Carol, and they talk about the spirits of Christmas, they're talking about ghosts. It's the ghost of Christmas past, but, but the word has just changed, and Dickinson wrote, wrote long enough ago, change hadn't taken place. And that's why your Bible, the King James, the older version will say the Holy Ghost. It's talking about spirit. They meant exactly the opposite. But what happens here, he's saying, talking about the work of the flesh, when Jesus was resurrected and they said, he's a ghost, he's a spirit is what they would have said in the older English. And he said, the spirit has not or a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Flesh, soft tissue. That's one use. Another of the flesh, many times it'll say uh, the flesh talking about uh, the whole landscape of human beings, people. But when Romans 7's talking about the flesh and when Galatians 5 is talking about the flesh, quite simply it's this. My flesh is me, apart from the Holy Spirit of God. When I try to do anything, whether it's good or bad, but I'm doing it of myself, I'm the motivator. I'm the one that's making the decision. I'm the one that's going. That's the flesh. Oh, the flesh does a lot of good things. The flesh can do a lot of good things at church. As well as other places. And the flesh wants to try to appear good. That's that's what it's all about. But when I'm operating in the flesh and not with allowing the Holy Spirit of God to work through me, Jesus said in John 6 63, the flesh profits nothing, not a saddle, nothing. The Spirit, it's the Spirit that gives life. And these words I speak to you, they are Spirit and they are life because they are given by the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what he uses to work in my life. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 7? When he found himself struggling with things, kind of like we find in these lists, he didn't, me- he didn't mention what it was he's struggling with, But when he talks about it, Romans chapter 7, about verse 18, where he says, I know that in my flesh, that's me, apart from the Holy Spirit of God operating in and of myself, for myself, there dwells no good thing. That's why the old song says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to Thy cross I cling. There is nothing that I have that I can bring to God. My best intentions, my sincerest desires, nothing I have that operates independently from the Holy Spirit of God is anything of value whatsoever. In my flesh there dwells no good thing. Now what you're looking at, see, and in Galatians 5, that list... That's the list of things. He goes on to talk about envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries. And notice it says, and the like. In other words, this is not an exhaustive list. See, when the young man came to Jesus and said, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And obviously, he felt pretty good about himself. He really did. And so he thought, you know, I'm I'm doing what I can do, and I'm doing the best I can, and all that kind of stuff, but I'm missing something. It's just not all there. And Jesus said, well, what does the law say? And then he starts giving a list. And you notice, he didn't give all the Ten Commandments. He gave the commandments that young man could listen to and say, yeah, I think I'm all right there. Yeah, that's good. He mentioned things like, Thou shalt not murder. I haven't murdered anybody in quite a while. I guess maybe that's okay. Yeah, and he says, Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. He said, and then he says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. And then he says, And honor your father and mother. And that young man said, Check, 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 check. Hey, this is good. Good. He said, "But I lack something." Jesus said, "But one thing you lack." He said, "All those things I've done from my youth up. Had he done them perfectly? No way. Whether your name's Jose or anything else, it's just no way. Couldn't possibly. But what happens is, he checked that off, and Jesus said, "But you lack one thing. Oh, just one. <laughs> All right." what is it let's just tackle that we'll get that done and he said you like one thing and that one thing was everything he said you take all you have and he had a lot he said you take what you have you sell it you give it to the poor if I give it to the poor I won't have it anymore. This is not going to work out so well. You give it to the poor, and then you come follow me. Just one thing you lack. Just one thing that was uh, everything. You just give it all up. How did that young man get all that wealth before? Well, the blessing of God. God had looked after him taking care of his needs just like he promises to take care of your needs and my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That's how he got it. Well, what's he going to do when he doesn't have it? Well, I guess he'll just have to depend on the same God that made it possible for him to have it the first time. And, you know, I think it's Mark. the one gospel. All three mention that. But I think it's Mark where he says Jesus it's specific comments. Jesus loved him. He cared about that young man. Now, if you and I would have been there, we would have said, yeah, Lord, what are you doing? He would be such an asset to our church. This young man's been in the Word, and, and he knows what, uh, what the Bible teaches. When you mentioned those things to him, he knew exactly what you were talking about, and he was confident. He was wealthy. Wow, that would help at offering time. And, I mean, he has a lot going for him. But Jesus had to watch him walk away because the Scripture says he had great possessions. It could have said great possessions had him, and it would have been just as true. I want you to notice this list. And one of the things, the setting for this list is that you and I have that rich privilege of being the dear children of God. But you know the same God that gave us a heart to love him with, gave us a brain to think with, and I think we're supposed to use for both. I look at this list and I want you to look and notice some things that it seems like God is giving us some suggestions here, practical suggestions when it comes to dealing with these things, it can be a real problem for us. For example, but fornication is verse three. Fornication, all uncleanness or covetousness. Notice he says, let it not be even named among you. Don't even think it. You know, I, I noticed just reading through my Bible, you know. And uh, that's my commentary, best commentary I've ever had, and I I like it. But anyway, when I'm reading through my Bible, one of the things, like one thing that God mentions, and we, we deal with abortion today, I mean, it's just reality there. But one of the things God will almost always mention when he mentions the nations that he was casting out of Canaan, when he mentions Israel themselves, when they start following these false gods, Moloch and others, and that is they offer their children up to him. And you know what? God not only says, you should never do that. That's not what he says. He said, I've never commanded you to do that. Never. And then he goes on to say, it didn't even enter my mind. I mean, God couldn't have thought of it. Of course he could. But he said, I never even considered it. And look what he's saying to us. Let it not even be named among you. If you're dealing with something on this list, and by the way, and such like it says in Galatians 5, you can make your own list. You know things. I've always thought, you know, I was glad for myself personally that when God brings a conviction to me, he seems to do one or two things at a time. And I am so glad he doesn't just back the truck up, and dump the whole load of things that I could be held responsible for. I'm glad he brings that conviction. That's why the book of Hebrews talks about the weights that do so easily beset us and the sins that do so easily beset us. That's the sins that are just always there, and everybody's got their own list. You know what I noticed? Some of the sins that the Bible talks about, I'll be honest with you, I'm not even tempted to and I bet you can say the same thing I can look at different sins the Bible talks about giving your child to a pagan god that hey I'm not tempted there I I, there's my checklist I'm okay but you know what the things that we wouldn't dream of doing are the things that when others do it we tend to think how could they possibly have done that because you just You just think that way. I would never do that. Remember the two men that went to pray in Luke chapter 18? And one of those men would say, he he thanked God. Always a good idea to give thanks to God, right? And everything gives thanks for this will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Well, he thanked God. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like that other man. Oh, (laughs) Maybe it's not always a great idea to be thankful, but we tend to focus on the things that seem the worst to us that we're not really that tempted toward because we can say, I feel good about that, but it doesn't work quite that easily. Don't let it be named. Don't even think about it. Don't even get close to it. I tell you a story, but I don't have time. Won't do it. But I want you to know do what is fitting. To the saints, and it's simply at school we talk about something that's appropriate at school. You hear that all the time, you know. A kid's got his Chromebook out. Of course, the school controls that, and uh, but the the emphasis on everything, whether it's technology or if anything else, dress, whatever, wear something or do something at school appropriate. In this case. Do something that's fitting. That just means appropriate. Appropriate for who? For a God who loves us and wants us to be his dear children. For a Savior who died for us. Let it be appropriate to them. Now, I got to tell you, that's a lot higher standard than anything Dumas Independent School District ever dreamed about. Uh, vastly higher than that but it's the standard that matters another suggestion i would have for you notice he says which is not fitting and i'm still in i'm in verse four but rather the giving of thanks you probably noticed it in chapter four you notice how he said in chapter four let him that steals steal no more and then immediately he says but rather Let him work with his hands that he might have to provide for his needs and that he might be able to share for others. He doesn't just say, don't do it. He says, don't do it, but rather, and he's doing the same thing here. I mean, it's it's, it's just that way. And I would suggest to you, when you're dealing with something that's a problem in your life, you have to replace it. There's just something about us, and it's part of that flesh that we're talking about. The more I focus on what I don't want to do. Read Romans 7 again. Paul says, in my mind, I agree with the law of God. I know what it says is right. But then he goes on to say, but that which I would not do, that's the very thing I find myself doing. And the things that I know I should do. Guess what? Those are the very things I can't seem to get done. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And that's when he's going into Romans 8, right after that. The very thing. The more I focus on that which I don't want to do, the more likely I am to do it. Because you get it in your mind, and you're thinking about it, and then you'll find yourself going back into it happens so easily. You know, the ultimate answer, though, and we'll get right to that, though, when you get down to verse 18, he says, And do not be drunk. The Bible never says, as my dad would point out to me, I never drank. My dad was the kind of guy, if I did take up drinking or smoking or whatever else, it would have been the things at the time, he wanted to know about it. So I remember one time we went on a trip. A fellow worked with him, and the three of us guys, we went up into New Mexico and the mountains and all this stuff. And they had a little wine, and my dad encouraged me. Taste it. See what you think. One of the things I'm not tempted to, and it doesn't make me a better person, I'm not tempted to alcohol. I'm just not. I tasted that and thought, gag a maggot. I know somebody will say, oh, that's fine wine. Well, it may be to you. I don't, that's just not a problem for me. And uh, I, I don't have a problem. And my dad would do that. He wanted to know. If I was going to be heading that direction. He found out pretty quick. I wasn't going to do it what he's inviting me to. I'm sure not going to do it any other time. And so I just just didn't. But if a person is having that. Some problem like that. Whatever it could be. And you focus on what you're not going to do. The more it comes to mind. The more you'll do it. Replace it. Bob Horton years ago in Mountain Home, Arkansas, he said, you know, he had an alcohol problem. He said, you know, your witnessing to me is not really the basic thing that caused me to come to Christ. That's really not what did it. He said, the thing that did it for me was that my dad was the town drunk. And when he came to Christ, I mean... It just went away. He just wasn't going to have it. And when I saw the change in my dad's life, now the occasion for him to receive Christ was we talked to him about it and shared the scripture and that kind of thing. But the thing that was driving in his heart was that. But Bob said, you know, he said, I thought it would be hard to give up beer. And he said it wasn't. But he said, the problem I had was, he had was cigarettes. He said, I just couldn't get away from it. I felt like God didn't want me doing that. I couldn't get away from it. You know what he finally had to do? Pack cigarettes about like so. He had a Gideon New Testament about like so. And so what he did, cigarettes had to go. That's not keeping close to you. Put that New Testament. He said, I couldn't help it. I just reached for my pocket. And there's that New Testament, and I think, ah, replace it, don't even get close to it, and be glad that God is forgiving. Don't be drunk with wine. But what should you do? Ah, there's another. But rather, what? Be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, you can demonstrate that. That'll show up in ways like you'll be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and all those things. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, when you think there are so many people in the Bible that are referred to as filled with the Spirit. But you know who the one that stands out in my mind without a doubt? The Lord Jesus himself. He say, wait a minute. Jesus was God. That's right. But though God he was and God he always will be, he came to this earth to be a man, a human being, to show us what God created, intended man to be. You know where, when sin began, you remember what God had told Adam and Eve? Don't eat that tree because in the day you eat it. Now that's in Genesis 2. Genesis 3 is when they actually eat it. But he said, in the day you, shall, you eat it, you will surely die. What is death? I was, at, I was uh, doing Eric Clark's science class, and uh, we were doing thermal energy. And so I passed around his worksheet. I was passing them around, but I like to, you know, try to bring things up So I was out. I said, so what is thermal energy? And the kids are sharp, and a couple of them said, well, it's heat energy. I said, I got another question. I've always got a question. I got another question. Why don't you ever hear anything? Have you ever done a worksheet on cold energy? What? (laughs) You do a work work, uh, on cold energy? And I said, well, I'll tell you why. Because there is no such thing as cold energy. Do you know what cold is? <laughs> when I'm cold? It's the absence of heat. That's all it is. Cold's nothing. It's just that when heat's gone, guess what you got? You're cold. Just like, and by the way, it talks about light and darkness here. Just like darkness is the absence of light. You don't turn on the dark or turn off the dark. You turn on the light. Because darkness is the absence of light. And then I said, just like death is the absence of, and they're on with me, they said life. Exactly right. Did Adam die the day he ate that fruit? You know, Genesis chapter 5 tells us that Adam will live physically 930 years after he ate that fruit. God did not keep his promise? Adam didn't die the day he did it? Yes, he did. Because what happened? God, when he made man, formed man out of the dust of the earth, that's the body, and unlike anything else God created, he took this one that he had formed out of dust, and he breathed into his nostrils. Didn't do that for kangaroos, raccoons, or chimpanzees, or anything else. But he breathed into his nostrils, and man became a living soul. Adam and Eve were alive because of God's presence in their life. But when they ate that fruit, on the day they ate that fruit, the Holy Spirit of God would withdraw, and they were Now, I don't think they necessarily stayed dead for 930 years because in Genesis 3.15, that's the first presentation of the gospel. And that's when God told them that he's going to send, let's just cut it short and say a Savior. The serpent will bruise his heel, but he'll bruise that serpent's head. And Adam, placing his faith in God and his promise... Didn't have to stay dead for 930 years, but he died. What's death for a person who's dead? Spiritually, the absence of life. And the only way you can have life is when the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within you. That's why Paul will say, like in Philippians 121, For to me to live is Christ. Not like Christ. Not to serve Christ. But for me to live is Christ. And in Galatians 2 verse 20 he says, He says, I am crucified with Christ. And yet I live. Not I that live, but Christ lives in me over and over and over the scripture talks about it you know most people when they think of Christians people familiar with the scripture at least in Christians too would say why is and I used to ask people why is it that Christ had to die for your sins why couldn't I do that or why couldn't someone else well, why couldn't you die for mine? And you know the answer I always give? Of course, I'd bring the question up. But the answer I'd always give. And it's right. It's true. Because I'm a sinner. If I die, I'm going to be dying for my own sin. If you die, you're a sinner. You're going to be dying for your own sins. It won't matter. And that was important. And that's true. But you know what? It wasn't the whole story. You know, maybe the bigger part of the story is this. Remember John 1 when it's talking about Christ coming? In the beginning was The Word. That's the Lord Jesus. Even Jehovah's Witnesses will agree to that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Without Him or apart from Him, not one thing was made that was made. But don't stop there. Verse 4, in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. See, the reason I can't die for your sins, it's true. I am a sinner. You're right. I'd have my own sins to pay for. That's true. But I cannot restore to you the life that Adam forfeited when he chose to rebel and sin against God. Only the Lord Jesus can do that. John 10, verse 10. The thief comes but to break through, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The scripture says when Christ in Colossians, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then we shall appear with him. The only way I can do this, Gay. The only way I can deal with the sin, the temptations that would surround me, those besetting sins, I can't. But he can. And if I live and simply by faith, Colossians 2, six, as you've received Christ, so walk in him. As I took a baby step and put my faith in Christ, but as I received him same way I walk in him and what's a walk it's simply a reiterated step it's like and you the only way is the same way you come to Christ the first time by faith for by grace are you saved through faith it's not of yourself it's a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast and that's what God wants me to realize, best thing I can do, quit. <laughs> Give it up. It's not going to work. I can't. He never said I could, but he will. He, ever, he always said he would. He who is born in you, the Lord Jesus coming into my life, he cannot sin. And the only way it's going to work, it's not going to work in the flesh. It's going to have to work as I trust him. Could we pray? Father, we thank you for calling to our attention the things that we are too aware of. We know there's a terribly long list that any one of us could make of things that are problematic for us, things that really do tempt us, might not tempt somebody else, they do us. And yet, Father, help us to realize that as we allow you and the person of your Holy Spirit to live in us and we trust him and depend on him, Father, we just pray that you'd help us to realize the victory that the Lord Jesus realized on a daily basis. Father, we just pray that you'll help us to grow in our in our relationship with you. And we just pray that you'll be the very center of all our lives. We pray it in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening.
0: For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.
1: Let us sing.
0: We're going to give it just a second. Wow.